Welcome to Complete Kids Online, friendly discussions about autism and other developmental disability. Learn how working together is working better. One conversation at a time. Hello, welcome to Complete Kids Online. I'm Gina. And I'm Bob. And we are joined here today by Eric. Eric is the owner of Autism Fitness. Thank you for being here today with us. Absolutely happy to do it. Awesome. Um, tell us a little bit about Autism Fitness and your mission and kind of its history. Oh, happy to do it. So I started back, ooh, it's, I think this year, I, I just LinkedIn told me I've been doing this for 20 something years now. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I started about 20 years ago and my background was in um, exercise science and, and strength and conditioning. So um, I was in a behavior science program um, after I, my undergrad was in forensic psychology, which sounds uh, exciting until it, it it gets to the fact that didn't do a lot of forensic psychology in undergrad, did mainly general psychology, but I really uh, grew enamored with cognitive behavioral psychology. So I went to yeah. graduate school. Eric, explain it to an idiot that doesn't understand what is forensic. Yes. So forensic uh, psychology refers to uh, <laughs> uh, the psychology of, of criminology and, and um, looking at um motive and, and psyche and, um, and, and all of these different aspects of human behavior when it comes to the criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, but didn't really get into much of that in undergraduate. And I decided I wanted to pursue something in cognitive behavioral psychology. So I started doing uh, my graduate studies there in, in general behavior science. And at the time, I had also become a personal trainer um, because fitness had become a, a big part of my life. So I thought, well, in my professional life, what I'd love to do is combine these two fields of behavior science and, and physical fitness. So I thought initially that I was going to go into sports psychology. So I thought, okay, I'll get my general um, master's degree in, in, um, in cognitive behavioral and, and behavior psychology. And I had a classmate in one of the um, graduate behavioral psych classes who said, Hey, I know you're a personal trainer and, and you know, you're obviously in a behavior sciences class. Would you be interested in working with us here? This, I, I spent most of my life and career in New York. So we work in this program uh, in Manhattan. It's a small research program with teenagers on the autism spectrum. Would you be interested in coming in and doing some fitness programming for us? Because we've never had anything that was structured and really worked. And they tried a couple sports-based programs, which I have my professional opinions about. Um, but no, nothing ever really clicked. So I came in having um, this background in personal training and, and exercise science, and then uh, clinical training in applied behavior analysis. And I, the more I looked, the less I found in, in terms of standardized practices or best practices for implementing fitness and movement programs for the autism and neuroadaptive population. But here I was with this emerging interdisciplinary model that I had, you know, I could draw from the strength and fitness science, I can draw from the ABA side. And so I started out 
working um, predominantly in in Manhattan and then doing a lot of in-home as well. And then just by nature of necessity, creating a methodology around it um, because there was not there's nothing that existed. So it was, okay, how do I, I know theoretically and conceptually how to do this. I know what exercises I want to use. I know what's going to have the best outcome um, for, you know, when you're talking about human beings, you're talking about the human body. So, so there are some good, there are some good set points or some, some good baselines for what we need to do. Question is, particularly for the neuroadaptive population, how do we implement that in a way that's meaningful? Because I could have an awesome program on paper or on a screen that says, okay, squat, press, pull, carry, but how do we implement that in a meaningful way for this population? So that's kind of part two. So started working with many more individuals, um, started writing about it, started doing videos about it. And then, um, seven years ago now launched the autism level one, uh, level one certification, the autism fitness level one certification, which currently has about 400 certified pros in, I think 10 different countries wow. right now. And then three years ago, right before the pandemic moved to Charlotte and started up my, my one-to-one program here and continue to lead the, uh, the level one certification and the level two. And of course the master level. So I, I got to back you up. So I'm, <laughs> Please. Not, I'm not letting you get away with it. You Don't. Did say, you did say that you have an opinion on sports-based programs. Uh, do tell. Yeah. Well, it comes down to what what works and it comes down to what our goal is. Right? So, and, and it's also highly, th- there's a cultural relevancy and a cultural consideration to this. So when I started, it's not that I am vehemently against sports-based programs, but we have to ask, what is our goal? What works? And and how can we scale? The the key to anything, um, especially in this world, is scalability. Can we dial it back and make it simpler so that someone can acquire the skills so it's meaningful for them? And how much can we progress it? So you always need the progression. You always need the modification in any skill set. And because sports tend to be like, if we're looking at the the pyramid of what we consider important as far as movements, everything is like sports, 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 sports. And we want to turn kids into like sports specific athletes. And this happens very much in the in general uh, neurotypical world. So then we say, all right, well, let's do adapted sports. And my challenge is always, okay, well, let's take a stopwatch now. And if we're doing adapted soccer, we're doing adapted basketball, we're doing adapted whatever, you know, depending on on the sport. Okay, let's take a stopwatch. Let's see how much time that individual is actually participating. You know, if it's a 45-minute session and they're participating for, you know, 28 minutes out of that, 32 minutes of that, awesome. However, that's not typically in my in my experience, that's not typically what we see. So we have to ask a couple of questions that are really critical as far as the use of time and what we're doing as far as instruction. Number one, what is the goal here? Is the goal general physical physical fitness and movement and creating strength and stability and better motor planning? Is the goal like socialization? What like what's our hierarchy here? What's the most important thing that we can get done? So it's not that sports are bad. It's like looking at a toolbox and saying, well, I need to hammer this nail in, but we have a screwdriver. Okay. That's probably not going to be the best, best tool for this. And then considering many of the challenges that we, we have um, with, or, or the neuroadaptive and autism population has um, 
not only with with motor planning and and movement, but also abstract concepts like winning and losing and scoring a goal versus you know offense and defense. There there are all of these uh, elements of chaos in in gameplay. So again, we have to ask like, what's actually happening here? Which is my favorite question to ask. You know, not even catch it that way. It makes total sense. You know. Yeah, and the way you describe breaking down a skill into smaller pieces sounds a whole lot like ABA to us. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, all of these things coincide. You know, you have some like universal constants too. If I want to get somebody to squat, you know, you look at the basic motor pattern and then you do a baseline and you say, okay, this person is here right now. Are we ready to put 200 pounds on their back on a bar? No, but can they do a bodyweight squat? Okay, if they can't do it, if we're seeing these factors of limitation, how do we find the point at which they can be successful with this? And that seems philosophical, but it actually gets really practical when you're looking at it and saying, okay, I need X to look good. At what point can I create a situation or, or set up the environment so I'm getting X to look good? Mm-hmm. Got it. it feels like the the whole physical side of autism seems to get ignored a lot of the times because yeah. we're so focused on reading and yeah, you know cognitive, being able to cognitive yeah. skills um i mean we all need to be healthy so um how would you go about doing an evaluation how would you find out what your first steps or what the goals might be for some of your kids i'm i'm glad you asked that and it, to go back to something that that you said earlier i think my when we talk about the mission or I talk about the mission of autism fitness, the big overarching thing that I want to accomplish is just having fitness and, and physical activity looked at as an essential, not as a secondary, not as, Oh, it would be nice. Or fitness is just, you know, to, to, um, you know, to keep someone occupied, but really as a life skill. So we look at hygiene, we look at, you know, communication, we look at socialization, whatever that, you know, whatever that looks like for that individual or sounds like for that individual or however, you know, whatever modality is. Um, we look at, at activities of daily living. I don't think we're at the point yet where fitner, fitness is really considered that pillar. It's like, oh, they're active versus they're, they're inactive. They're sedentary versus they move around a lot. But we really need to look at both from a young age, but then as, as individuals get older too, you know, you're talking about some significant health consequences that can occur into adults. And we're already seeing this, but how do we move fitness from a, oh, this would be nice to do to no, this is absolutely necessary. But to answer your, your, your question, I developed something called the PAC profile um, or the PAC assessment, and that's physical, adaptive, and cognitive. So we look at those three areas of ability and just figure out, uh, in the first few sessions, what the baseline is. So what's this, what's our starting point? So we look at a medicine ball push throw. What's the starting point? How much distance? How many throws can the athlete complete? Um, we look at rope, uh, you know, a rope swing. We look at a bear walk. You know, at, at what point do we need to modify, or at what point can we how much can we progress? But of course, it's not just oh, can can they do this? Can they do this? Because we also have the the behavioral piece which comes down to motivation and engagement so you can have an athlete who can do five hurdle steps in a row just fine great hip flexion it looks good however how motivated are they to do that they could do two hurdle steps and then run off to the other side of the room or sit down and so what's happening 
behaviorally and as far as engagement and, and on task performance. And then the cognitive one, the cognitive one comes down to two different really important aspects. You have the neurological and, and this is just in the confines of fitness programming. So the neurological would be, you know, communication, um, uh, the, their ability to process information, um, and, and then, you know, short and long-term memory. So we're, we're looking at that just with respect to, to fitness activities. And then we have the neuromuscular, and this is where we get into, um, for example, kinesthetic awareness, which I think sometimes there, there's a misrepresentation or more of a misunderstanding of like, um, kinesthetic, um, inability, like, it doesn't mean that our athlete is bouncing off the walls trying to figure out where they are. It can be the difference between raising their arm halfway up overhead and then going all the way to full extension overhead and what, how they're processing this. So when I take a baseline, when I'm doing an assessment, I need, I, I need to figure out where are they starting with this exercise physically, how motivated are they to perform and cognitively, how, what do I need to put into place so that they understand the expectation so that their, so that their performance is as good as it can possibly be. So you can never just take out one of those elements and say, eh, I'm not focusing on the motivation and engagement. Well, let's just go without it. It's not going to happen. Something's, something's going to break down. But if you have all three in place, then you have a really good starting point. You know, it's funny you, when you were saying that before, Eric, about you know, the importance of the fitness and it's important in every other community or, or, um, um, demographic. Yeah. Um, why would it not be important to, to this? I've been asking um, that for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's funny how that, you know, being in this field now it, it's, it's often overlooked, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so if, um, can you give us some tips maybe to parents about, you know, you know, incorporating this kind of stuff and, or maybe even, you know, seeking out help and, and to, you know, um, to um, address the, you know, yeah. the, the lack of um, importance on this subject. Yeah. Uh, we, we always want to, we always want to meet the, the athlete and, and I, that that's an asterisk there too. So I refer to all the individuals that I work with as my athletes. Um, my broad definition of that is if you're moving consistently and if there's progress, then, to me, you're, you're an athlete. So it's kind of this. That's awesome. Cause I checked that box. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to call myself an athlete from now Perfect. on. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. It, it's an athlete for life skills. You know, you know, it doesn't need to be sports specific. So the, the key is to meet that individual where they're at right now. So it's not, Hey, just start up with, you know, 10 exercises, 45 minutes a day, four to five times a week, because that can be overwhelming not only for, for the athlete, but that can be overwhelming for, for a family as well. Um, so the key is um, start small, but, but consistency is going to absolutely win the day every time. So we start out with, you know, six medicine ball throws on a Tuesday and you look at it and say, ah, we only did six. Great. Tomorrow you can do seven. So it's just building on these. I, when I'm developing home-based programs, um, we'll, we'll start out with maybe three or four exercises and build on there. Okay. Once we can do this, let's, let's build on that. So that I think the key is we can always have a starting point. Like there's always, as long as we have a baseline 
starting point, we can get somewhere from there. That's awesome. Um, yeah. What would, um, how could a parent reach you or it's a similar program in their city? Um, mm-hmm. Are there resources? Yeah, they they can find everything on autismfitness.com. And if they're looking for a certified- that, That's pro, no spaces, Eric, just autism fitness, yep. all one word. Yep, autismfitness.com. And uh, I'm actually working on a new database of all of our currently certified pros, but they can always reach out to me and ask if if I have someone who's certified in their area as well. But in, ooh, in another month or so, anybody watching this after a month, it'll probably be up already, but I'll have an, an all new uh, searchable directory for people who are, are certified in the methodology. And um, here, of course, in, in Charlotte, uh, I, I work with some individuals on uh, one-to-one on a limited basis and work with families in a consulting role as, uh, as well. What does that certification process look like for your trainers? I am glad you asked. So it's the certification is a, um, is a hybrid process. There is an online course that's over 15 hours of, of video um, demonstrating this entire PAC profile process programming, um, behavior support, everything that that one would need to start and facilitate a program. And then I do a uh, a full day practical for the hands-on training that is absolutely essential for something like this, especially people coming in with an expertise in one discipline, um, especially, you know, from the ABA world that doesn't necessarily have a background in fitness or in, in strength and conditioning that the hands-on component is really critical. So I do a full day uh, practical and I do that either virtually via Zoom. So we spend the day together uh, or, and this year I'm starting to do them in person again too. So I'll be doing one here in Charlotte. I'll be doing one out in Arizona. And then next year I'll be scheduling some more. And if somebody's interested in being an instructor on the instructor end of that, yeah, uh, autismfitness.com as well. Correct. Yep. Everything is right. Housed under that umbrella. Beautiful. Um, do you have any other social media that um, people can find you on or get any more information? I have all the social media. Yeah, it's uh, at the Autism Fitness on Instagram on. Uh, What's the other one on, on uh, YouTube? Okay. Yes. Facebook, YouTube. I do a lot of video. I do a, um, a weekly Tuesday training video on YouTube goes up every Tuesday. Um, and then people who are on my newsletter, which is completely free uh, on autismfitness.com, get the weekly Tuesday training email and then the Friday follow-up, which has key points and takeaways from that training. So I do a lot on the exercise selection side, how we implement this particular exercise, why we're implementing that exercise. So you can find me on YouTube at the autism fitness. Um, and then of course, LinkedIn, you can look autism fitness, or you can look me up Eric Jess and connect. Awesome. We always, um, wrap up. So we have a thing, um, in our company, mm-hmm. um, about, you know, we have a theme about superheroes. So we yes. wrap these podcasts about, if you could have any superpower, um, what would that be? Teleportation. By far. <laughs> I don't think people really. And I like the Charlotte airport too. but <laughs> It's gotten better too. But <laughs> TSA okay. lines, if you could yes. just fly right Com- over those. Coming from the world of JFK and LaGuardia. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very different experience. No, I know. I know. But still, there's much room for improvement, even in, <laughs> even in CLT, which we love. Thanks so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. That was this fun. This was awesome. Thanks again, Eric. Appreciate it. Again, once again, if everybody wants to um, look into these types of things, autismfitness.com. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. To continue the conversation, visit the links to our website, Facebook page, Instagram, and the comments.